thrilling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Good morning. Welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show. My name is Patrick Madrid, and I'm glad that you're here. My number is 888-914-9149. That number is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. It's 888-914-9149. I can't promise you two tickets to paradise, but I can promise that if you call earlier in the hour, the likelihood of you getting on the air is greater. Phone lines tend to get jammed up pretty quickly. And we'll go to the phones in just a minute. Uh, also, emails, I'd love to hear from you. My address there is patrick at relevantradio.com. Here's one. This is from Germany, from what I can determine, because the email address ends in .de, which I understand is the, the um, suffix for a German email address. I don't have a name, though. And it refers to the lengthy conversation we had yesterday on this program about divorce and remarriage, and just to quickly recap, it all was sparked by this interesting, I don't even know right the, the right word to describe it, but an interesting, riveting, fascinating little video that a young woman posted about her dad walking out on the family when she was five. And if you didn't hear it, you can hear it yesterday. You want to listen to hour three and hour, I'm sorry, hour two and hour three at the relevantradio.com website, or use the Relevant Radio app, either way. <clears throat> And so that in itself was interesting to talk about. You know, what's it like when your dad walks away from the marriage or your mom? Well, the dad got wind of it. He posted his own video trying to sanitize things. And then the young woman posted kind of like a final, I'm done with this now, but here's my final comment on this. And that led to a very, very fascinating, very heartfelt conversation with many of you about divorce and father loss, and the damage that divorce does to people. And I got a lot of emails from, even during the program yesterday, and overnight. Here's one. This is the one that came in from Germany. And he's he or she, whoever wrote this, is referring specifically to three of the callers who are part of the conversation, Christina, Melanie, and Lisa, and says, if you haven't been told you are worth it recently, well, you are worth it. If you haven't been told you are lovely recently, well... I love you. If you haven't been told it's not your fault, well, it's not your fault. If you haven't been apologized to, well, I'm sorry. If you haven't been able to vocalize your hurt, I know and see and feel your hurt too. It's okay if you haven't been able to feel the same as before. Well, you're not alone. If you haven't been able to forgive or haven't been asked, well, please forgive me. If you can manage it, perhaps a novena of the Divine Mercy Chaplet. That's a great suggestion. Using each of the main decade beads, offering a loss or a pain or a hurt that you feel, <clears throat> and allowing it to be atoned for, maybe then also seeking forgiveness for the extended harm to the rest of your family, your parents, your spouses, your friends, all those who we know are hurt by divorce, most specifically the children. It affects us all, and as members of the family, we know as the mystical body of Christ here as a Catholic Church, if one hurts, we all hurt. And that's a good theological point, by the way. That's taken directly from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If one member of the body suffers, St. Paul says, all the members suffer with it, or him or her. And this is the final line. This is what I thought was very, at least for me, touching. I guess the about 20-minute cry from Christina's deep and honest pain to every other brave parent going through this, I will pray for closure and healing for you and your family. And I, I think that the letter, the email writer himself or herself cried 
by hearing Christina's call. It was very, very moving, no doubt. So thank you for that. I don't, again, have a name to acknowledge you by, so I do appreciate that. Um, and on all the other comments that came in, perhaps there'll be time to read some of them. We'll see about that. But uh, thank you for for getting you know, involved in this issue in a more than just casual way, listening, adding your own voice to the conversation, etc. 888-914-9149. Why don't we take E. Frank? How about that? We'll start with E. Frank in Astoria, New York. Good morning, E. Frank. Good morning, Patrick. Thank you very much, and thanks for uh, taking this call because uh, I'm just a little bit nervous in regards to uh, Lent. Okay. Uh, I broke my Lenten promise uh, three times already by eating meat. And I just want to ask you, Patrick, I know what you've said in past programs about fasting and abstinence during Lent, but I want to reiterate that if you do break your Lenten promise, is it a good idea to just stop with, uh, with Lent at that point, or can you continue no. with the 40 days of Lent? No, if you fall off the bicycle, you get back up on the bicycle and keep riding. If you fall off the horse, you get back on the horse and keep riding. That's my advice. So let me ask you this, E. Frank. When you say you you broke your Lenten promise, there are certain requirements that we're all bound by, and that is to not to abstain from meat on Ash Wednesday and Fridays during Lent. Is that what you're referring to, or are you referring to maybe your own resolution to not eat meat at all during Lent. I actually know a guy who's going completely vegan, so not even butter or eggs or fish or anything like that, just veggies. Is that what you're talking about, like no meat at all, or are you talking about breaking the discipline of no meat on Ash Wednesday and Fridays during Lent? Two light meals during Fridays of Lent, and just that that's what I violated. Okay. And did you do so knowingly and intentionally, or was it like, oops, I forgot, it's Friday, and I ate some meat? Was it one of those, or did you intentionally do it? Uh, I uh, intentionally did it because I was forced to do that. I live with uh, many Islamic and pagan individuals that don't allow me to, they ask me about my faith, and I can't really explain the faith, my Catholic faith to them, so I, I had to, you know, violate it out of dietary purposes. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, I'm curious to know more. How on earth could they coerce you into eating meat? I'll tell did they you, hold Patrick, a knife to your throat? Or that, what, you know, that what was the... They believe in a foreign god, as we know, named Allah. The other told... No, 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 no. That's not what I mean. I, I, I know what Islam is. What I mean is, I'm just curious. It's just for my own curiosity, nothing else. What kind of situation could there be where, I don't know, a Muslim or a Hindu or whoever forced you or compelled you somehow to eat meat. That's an interesting scenario. They, they told they told me that, you know, that they have uh, a tradition of not understanding Christian faiths, and that maybe if uh, I would just uh, break the promise that I have with the Lenten season of my faith, that perhaps, you know, it wouldn't be such a bad thing to uh, live as uh, cohabitational neighbors in unison with uh, uh, society, and I got very nervous, and I started eating uh, and breaking my Lenten uh, regulatory process. Okay. So would it be fair to say then that you felt fear, that you were being compelled with the, the threat or the the suggestion of a threat, that if you don't do this, we might harm you? Is it something like that? 
yes, something of that nature, but not like hurting me physically, but you know, losing the understanding that I have of converting them to, uh, you know, offering uh, religious dialogue with them, and that's what I was more fearful, fearful of. Okay, fair enough. So that just satisfies my curiosity. So, with regard to intentionally breaking this discipline, that would be a sin. Now, if you genuinely felt fear or compulsion, that would mitigate your culpability or your guilt, to put it a different way. And only God really knows, only really you and God would know to what extent you folded like that. I'm still trying to figure out what that situation must have been like. But in any case, you could mention that and just kind of say to the priest, it was there was sort of a vague pressure being put on me. I did feel a bit fearful and see what he has to say about that. But the main thing is to answer your original question. No, don't stop Lent. Of course not. And you fall off the bike, you get back on the bike, keep riding. And there sounds like there may be some, I don't know, maybe adjustment in your living arrangements. If you're living so close cheek by jowl with non-Christians who are in a position to try to pressure you to not live your belief in Jesus. If I were in your situation, and I don't know what your situation is, but if I were in that kind of situation, I think I'd be looking for new neighbors. I think I'd be looking for a new place to live. Now, I don't know if that's feasible or not, but uh, that's something for you to consider. And ultimately, remember this, Jesus said, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in big things. And not eating meat on Friday during Lent is a little thing in the bigger picture of things. He says, if you are unfaithful in little things, you will be unfaithful in big things. So if, God forbid, you were ever in a situation where your life would be required of you as a martyr, somebody says, denounce and renounce Jesus Christ or we'll kill you, well, that's about as big as it gets. So my my thought for you, E. Frank, would be to steal yourself in these little things, these little um, seemingly insignificant, but not really insignificant things, like not eating meat on Friday during Lent, <clears throat> and practice the sense of commitment to that so that when something bigger comes, a bigger challenge, a more forceful challenge to your faith, you'll be able to withstand it because you will become accustomed to meeting the demands of all the little temptations, and you'll overcome those, and you'll have a what the theologians would call a stable disposition to virtue in this case. One other thing, as long as we're at it, I would recommend, if you're interested, read 2 Maccabees chapter 7. And in that, in that section, which you may already have read, I don't know if you've read it or not, but if you have read it, in it you're going to find the story of a mother and her seven sons who were forced by the king, a foreigner who had taken over. The king wanted them to break their um, the discipline of the Mosaic Covenant to not eat pork. Just read the whole chapter, Second Maccabees chapter twelve, ch- chapter seven, and you'll see an ex- examples of heroism under pressure and an unwillingness to bend for the purposes of pleasing other people, like the king who was going to kill them, and he, he wound up killing them as a result. So it's a very attention-getting passage, and it might be just the thing that you need to read right now. I hope that's helpful to you, E. Frank. Thank you. 888-914-9149. Let's go to Mark now in Chicago. Hi, Mark. 
Good morning, Patrick. Long time listener. I love your show. Thanks for letting Thank, a lot. You. Uh, Thank you. Just got a quick question for you because I'm meeting with our non Catholic friends uh, on Saturday's morning, which is up actually coming up tomorrow. And uh, the question came about church. And they say, like, well, we are the church. I'm like, well, no, we are the members of the church. But, uh, you know, the best thing is to obviously give them some biblical, because uh, they're all about Bible uh, verses and evidence that the church, the Catholic church, the true church, basically that's what it comes down to. But they're saying it's not. You know, and then they say, well, no, this is handmade. This is an institution, part of tradition and all this stuff. So trying to see if you can put some, like, Decisive life. So it sounds as though there may be two currents of thought here. One is, are we individually as, as members of the church, are we, is it proper to say that we are the church? And maybe alongside that would be your church, the Catholic church can't be the church that Jesus established. That's certainly not the Catholic church. Would that be another dimension of this conversation or is it one or the other? Oh, I'm sorry, Mark. You know, there we go. The, could yeah. you, could you, your phone cut out just a little bit. Could you repeat that sentence? Uh, yeah, that's, it looks like it's both, because obviously they're objecting to the fact that the Catholic Church is a church established by Jesus Christ. They're saying that Jesus basically established, uh, you know, that we are the church. So we, whoever follows Jesus, whoever the disciple, those uh-huh. that's where the church is. Remember that song from the 80s, We Are the World, and they got all those singing stars together in one studio. Remember this song, Mark? You remember that? I unfortunately remember it. (laughs) Talk about a collection of really... I don't know. Um, That song comes to my mind, Mark, when I think about what you're asking, because, um, you know, we are members of the world community of people. That's true. So if in their sense of the word, you know, we are the world, if what they mean is the people you're talking to, kind of like what the singers are saying, you know, that we're members of this church, we, we can agree with that because we are. And St. Paul uses that analogy of the body to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I would read the whole passage because that'll give you um, a lot more insight into that analogy for the body. And... We are members not only of the body of Christ, but we are therefore united with each other. That's part of what the communion of saints doctrine refers to, that we have a communion in and through Jesus Christ with each other. So you could talk about that and agree to that if that's what they're saying. But as far as the, you know, who or what was the original Catholic Church, this is where it gets really interesting. Right. Because... When you start reading the Church Fathers and you go back to, say, Pope Clement of Rome, the Bishop of Rome, he wrote a, a letter to the Corinthians sometime between A.D. 70. Some, some scholars date it as late as like the end of the first century, but I think most scholars tend to think that it was 70, 75, 80, somewhere in there. So St. John the Apostle was still alive, and perhaps a couple of other apostles might by then still have been alive, but at least St. John was alive. And so... Clement, the Bishop of Rome, wrote this letter to the church in Corinth that was undergoing some upheaval, and they had, um, they had rebelled against their leaders, against their bishop, and against some of those who were in authority there. And when you read this letter from, from Pope Clement, he says to them things like, 
if you obey what I'm telling you to do, it's not really me you're obeying so much as it's God who is speaking through me to you. And similarly, if you disobey what I'm saying, it's not really me per se that you're disobeying, but God who is calling you to obedience through me and many other things besides in this in this epistle. But what makes it, to my mind, very pertinent to what you're talking about is he was exerting the authority as the Bishop of Rome over another major, major church that had been founded by the Apostle Paul. It had its own pedigree. It had its own position of honor. And they, you know, letters to that particular church are in the Holy Bible kind of thing. Of course, the Bible hadn't been compiled by that point, but they had a very high-level status. And they accepted this teaching, this admonition from, from Clement of Rome in a docile way, they mended their ways. They recognized that he had this authority. So that would be an example of a Catholic, a notable, distinctive Catholic teaching about the authority of the Bishop of Rome that you can see right there in the first century. It's, a, it's well worth reading. You can see at the end of the first century, in the very beginning of the second century, the Bishop uh, Ignatius of Antioch, who was a successor of St. Peter, who was in Antioch for a time, but he succeeded him. He was an apostle, or rather a disciple of St. John the Apostle. So Ignatius knew St. John. He tells us that he received the gospel from St. John. And he, among other things, talks about the Holy Eucharist and the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Without using that phrase, he talks about, if you meet somebody, for example, who doesn't believe what we believe, about the Eucharist, really the flesh of Jesus that suffered for our salvation, then avoid that person because he's teaching something contrary to what we received from the apostles. So he heard this teaching directly from one of the men who were in the upper room. He also uses the term the Catholic Church. He refers casually to the Catholic Church. Where the bishop is, there is a valid Eucharist, and there is the Catholic Church. And he doesn't feel the need, it seems, to explain what he meant by that, and nobody of his contemporaries reading his epistle said, the what church? What church are you talking about, Ignatius? Never heard of that one before. So in the internal evidence points to the fact that the church was already being referred to and referring to itself as the Catholic Church. And from there, if there were time, and there isn't because I have to take a break, you can go through all the various different distinctive attributes, doctrinal attributes of the Catholic Church, and you will find them in their seed form in the early church. And so how do you explain, so if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck and looks like a duck, it's probably a duck is the logic. So if you look at the early church and you see they believed Catholic teachings, they taught Catholic teachings, they called themselves Catholic, they referred to themselves as the Catholic church, it's a pretty good bet that they were Catholic. And of course they were. What you won't find in the early church, Mark, you won't find Baptists. You won't find Reformed Baptists, that's for sure. You won't find Calvinists in the early church. You won't find Lutherans or Methodists or Calvary Chapel or, for that matter, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses or Christian scientists or any of these various groups that all arose quite a bit later, but you will find the Catholic Church. And so even just from an historical standpoint, you can make the overwhelming case that the original church that Jesus established was Catholic. So I'll leave it at that. Great resources are available on this topic, and 
Uh, if you ever want to call in and talk about any of the specific issues, just let me know. I'm here. I'm here all day, folks. Well, at least for the next two and a half hours. 888-914-9149. Thank you, Mark. I will be right back. This hour is supported by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Join the nation's largest Catholic-oriented credit union and receive $200 when you add a direct deposit. Learn more at NotreDameFCU.com slash join. That's NotreDameFCU.com slash join. Compelling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. All right. It's good stuff right here. Did you know that this is Jerry Rafferty? Irish singer, did you know that, Cyrus? I did not know that. I, I couldn't tell you who sung the song. I, I've known the song my whole life, but I, mm-hmm. I don't know who sings it. Steeler's Wheel was the name of the band at the time that he was in. You know, he was basically the band. Um, but he went on to do Baker Street. You might remember that one. That's a good song. In the late 70s. Mm-hmm. That's a great song. Uh, he is not with us anymore. May he rest in peace. I hope that he was Catholic because he was from Ireland. I have a daughter who says China. Where was now, he? all the time? Where, Whenever where that word from? comes up, she says China. I want to. Where was this she's guy mimicking from? a certain American politician? By the way, yeah, that's clear. Yeah. I want to hear you say, "Where was this guy from?" That was in this band. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna record my voice, aren't you? No, why would I do? I wouldn't do I that know. to you. Ireland. I can't even do. I can't do an Irish accent. And that's why I want you to do it. Yeah, I do. On my mother's side of the family, though, my grand, my maternal grandfather was. Uh, from what I understand, predominantly Irish, some English mixed in there as well. And um, so I don't, I'm not an honorary Irishman. I do have some of the Irish in me. So there you have it. Oh, and by the way, um, March 17th coming up, we'll have to do something special. We'll have a green show that day. 888-914-9149. All right. I wanted to share another little tidbit that came across my field of vision yesterday having to do with Google. And I don't think anybody pretends that Google isn't super woke, super left when it comes to ideologies and things like that. And the mask slipped. If you ask me yesterday, it was it was um, publicized that people were trying to get what formerly was called BARD. BARD was their AI that you can use. And I set up an account with it and all. I didn't do a whole lot with it, but the name changed just recently from BARD to Gemini. ChatGPT would be a major competitor and some of the other ones that are coming out. And so people were finding that when they would ask Google to generate, the Google AI, Bard, now Gemini, to generate an image of, you know, let's say like Vikings, for example, or generate an image of, you know, people at the time of the American Revolution, things of that nature. Our that, founding you, fathers. <laughs> yeah. I think there was one of those where <laughs> there was I saw it uh, like and, and they were all black, and not that there's anything wrong with that, as Seinfeld would say. But the point is, George Washington wasn't black, and the Vikings were not black last time I checked. And so here's how it's being reported. For example, uh, by I think this is the Associated Press, Google's now pausing this image generation feature of its artificial intelligence tool 
Gemini, after the model refused to create images of white people. The Alphabet-owned company apologized Wednesday after users on social media flagged Gemini's image generator because it was creating inaccurate historical images. And by the way, these are hilariously inaccurate. It's not just inaccurate. It's like eye-rollingly inaccurate, replacing white people with images of black, Native American, and Asian people. We're aware that Gemini is offering inaccuracies in some historical image generation depictions, Google said in a press release uh, day before yesterday. Gemini, formerly known as BARD, is one of the many multimodal large language models, or LLM if you prefer, that are currently available to the public. As is the case of all LLMs, the article says, the human-like responses offered by these artificial intelligences can change from user to user. Based on contextual information, the language and tone of the prompter and the training data used to create the AI responses, each answer can be different, even if the question is the same. I'll give you another example. I saw one. Um, Somebody said, can you tell me about contributions of white people in, I forget the specific thing, like in the the founding and the building of the United States? And, and it refused. It said, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do that um, because it wouldn't be appropriate or wouldn't be proper to do that focusing on one group. So then they just changed the question and said, can you tell me blah, 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 uh, that was accomplished by black people. And it gave this full on big, answer. And no doubt, you know, th- it is true. I mean, the things that we're saying about it is true, but it just had this bias built in against white people. And that's obviously not good. It's a form of discrimination, just another form of discrimination. And so Google got caught with their pants down and they're going to retool. We'll see what happens. But um, I have not found that to be true with chat GPT, Cyrus. I know you fiddle around with some of these other ones too. Yeah, I haven't seen that with the other ones yet. I uh, Elon Musk tweeted, I'm glad that Google overplayed their hand with their AI image generation as it made their insane, racist, anti-civilizational programming clear to all. Oh, man. And as I, was, as I was digging through this and looking at the photos, I found something else that was interesting. Yeah. It didn't just, the racism just doesn't stop with the photos. Uh, someone asked Gemini, did opening schools spread COVID? And it says, several studies have found that opening schools, particularly with in-person learning, can be associated with an increase in COVID-19 cases. So then I'll jump ahead to the next question. Did the Black Lives Matter protest spread COVID? And what do you think <laughs> Google had to say about that? No, ain't no way. There's no way it could spread. Nope. Numerous studies, COVID. including those by the National Bureau of Economic Research, found no consistent evidence that Black Lives Matter protests led to significant increases in COVID cases. That's bias. That's clear bias. It's clearly, just as mm-hmm. the images, the images are literally a, a painting of, <laughs> of the bias, but it, uh, yeah. it goes deep. It's deep in the algorithm. That is very true. So I guess point being, thank you, Cyrus, point being is word to the wise. Just be aware that not everything that glitters is gold. Not everything that you're told when you Google something is necessarily true. And it's important to keep our wits about us because especially now with the rise of AI and deep fakes and the, the seeming inability now to tell whether a video or an audio or a picture or text, something you read on online, it's becoming increasingly difficult to know whether that's valid or authentic or not. And it's just going to get worse. So all the more reason why you should stay tuned to Relevant Radio because we'll make sure that you're 
keeping up with what is true, good, and beautiful. Hey, by the way, I have a note that came in actually just a few minutes ago on a similar topic. This is from Nathan. I rent cars a lot for work, he says. I have to travel frequently. And I listen to you a lot on the Relevant Radio app, but locally in Orlando, I can listen to you on 1080 AM. Shout out to Orlando, by the way. So Nathan says, one of the things I do when I turn in a car rental is I pre-tune all the presets to 1080 AM so that the next person who gets in the car will already be listening to Relevant Radio. I will never know if it will make a difference, but I will know that it is possible that someday somebody might get to heaven because they heard your show, because I did the preset. Just a little fun thing to do that I do to evangelize. Have a great day. Thank you, Nathan. You know, truth be told, to use the phrase again, um, I've done that for years as well. Back in the days when I was doing a lot of travel, I would rent cars frequently, and I would do the same thing. I would preset all of the the buttons on the car to the local relevant radio station. <laughs> so if you're thinking, I don't want to listen to this, you punch another button, it's the same thing. Drew Mariani again, you hit another button. Ah, it's still Drew Mariani. Hit that button. It's still Drew Mariani. Who's That's a great almost guy, ingenious way. right there. See what I'm saying? So I'm with you on that, Nathan. I think it's a great idea. Oh, I have a story. I haven't told this one in ages, so you need to know this one. Nathan, I think you'll appreciate this. In fact, you of all people, will appreciate this story. Before the merger, which was, how long has it been now, Cyrus? Six six years, seven years? Yeah, at least six. Coming up. I think we're coming up on seven years now. Time flies when you're having fun. We certainly are. What? You chuckled. Fact. (laughs) Yeah. We are having fun. That's all we do is have fun here. So anyway, Nathan... This is pre-merger. So at the time, my program aired on Immaculate Heart Radio. Shout out to all the Immaculate Heart Radio people. Doug Sherman, the founder of Immaculate Heart Radio, great man. And he, and or I should say I, was working, my show was on with Immaculate Heart Radio. And we had an, a conference in Long Beach. And I had a bunch of my books because I've written some books. So I had some of those books on the book table for sale and people are crowding around and whatnot. Well, this lady comes up to me. She might even be listening right now. And she came up to me and she said, would you like some help at the book table? Because there were a lot of people and I think maybe one person was behind the book table helping. So I said, yeah, that'd be a great help. Thank you for that. So she did. And several hours went by and maybe it was during the lunch break. She said, "Uh, by the way, I'm here at this relevant radio, or I'm sorry, at this Immaculate Heart Radio conference and I'm selling Catholic books and listening to Catholic speakers and I'm not even a Catholic. I said, oh, really? I said, that's interesting. What are you? She says, I'm actually Hindu. I was raised Hindu. And I said, really? So you're a Hindu and you're enjoying yourself at this Catholic event. That must be quite a story. And here's the story she told me. No more than maybe, I don't know, three weeks before that, as I recall, two weeks, three weeks, somewhere in there, she was living her Hindu life and not even thinking about becoming a Catholic, wasn't even on her radar screen. And she took her car to the car wash. And this is where you come in, Nathan. She takes her car to the car wash. She drops it off. She watches as it goes through. She pays her bill. She gets in the car when they're done wiping it down and cleaning the windows and all that. She gets in her car and the radio station had been changed from whatever she was listening to when she dropped the car off at one end of the building. It had been changed to Immaculate Heart Radio by whoever was wiping down the inside of the car. God bless you, sir, or madam, by the way. 
So she gets in and she's like, what is this? And she starts listening, all this talk about God and Catholics and such. She said, what is this? So she started listening to it, and she said that by the time she got home, after running her errands, I guess, she was, like, really interested. And so she she continued to listen, and she kept listening, kept listening. And, and she heard about this conference because it was being announced. So she said, I'm going to go to this thing. I want to see what this is all about. So long story short, she goes to the conference. She continues listening to Relevant Radio. I'm, I keep saying that, but same thing, different name, pre-merger. She continues to listen to Immaculate Heart Radio. And in due time, within a matter of some months, she came into the Catholic Church. And I got a chance to meet her husband. And I think he was raised Catholic as well. Um, she was raised Hindu. But what an interesting story. And it all, it all happened coincidentally, with air quotes around that, because somebody changed the station. So, Nathan, I think you are onto something here. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if someone comes up to you in heaven and says, you know, thank you for changing that radio station because I got that rental car next time around. And what I heard changed my life. Thank you very much. Let's have a fun eternity together. Can you imagine the family reunion we're going to have in heaven with all the relevant radio listeners in heaven forever? That's going to be awesome. Join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Czestochowa, and the Infant Child of Prague. Seats are limited. Information at RelevantRadio.com slash Poland. That's RelevantRadio.com slash Poland. Keeping it relevant. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Join the conversation at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid is on now. Hmm. I know what that means. I like the beat. It's a heavy, heavy early 1970 feel to it. All right, so I'm, I'm getting on the, on the fence vibes yeah. here. Is this a... Me- well, I'm trying to figure out what this is or who this is. This is Jack White. Oh, this is a modern... It is, yeah. Oh. This is probably four or five years ago. This sounds very 1971 yeah. to me. I thought you liked it. Yeah, I'm not familiar with this, but I like it. I like the 70s vibe. I'll keep it in the maybe pile. Yeah, do that. I, I could hear it again, and we'll see. Um, by the way, E. Frank, if you're still listening, I hope you are, two emails came in about your call. So here's one from Jim in Helena, Montana, regarding E. Frank's challenge with Lenten practices in the presence of Islamic pra- practitioners. He says, I worked in Iraq for 10 years. Dear E. Frank, if you have ever been with your Islamic associate, have you ever been with your Islamic associates during Ramadan? An easy way to show respect for people practicing Ramadan is to acknowledge how much more difficult that practice is compared to the abstinence from meat and fasting on a small number of days during Lent. I knew people working outside when Ramadan was during the summer who were not eating or drinking all day. Showing them respect for that practice will make it easier for them to reciprocate. Interesting. Yeah, you know, treat people the way you would like them to treat you kind of thing. Where have I heard that before? That's a good point. Thank you, Jim. And Gwen, writing in, says, and also about E. Frank's call, uh, maybe he could tell the Muslims and pagans that they could eat pork. And his dilemma is like when Jesus was tempted in the desert by Satan and when Satan tempted Eve, 
Maybe he needs to stop associating with these people who don't accept his religion's beautiful way of sacrifice. Perhaps so, but you know what? My impression was that it's a living situation, like maybe neighbors next door. I don't know if he lives in a place where there are like multiple people renting rooms or something, but that was my impression. I don't know if he has a lot of power over who these neighbors are, but that's an interesting point, Gwen. Thank you. 888-914-9149. Why don't we go over to Austin, Texas now and talk to Sig. Hello, Sig. Hello, Sig. Hello. Have a bad feeling about Hello? this, Cyrus? Hello. What? Oh, what's up there, Bill? Go ahead and shoot me some info, Sig. Shoot me some info. Go ahead. Hello, hello. Hi there. You got a okay. bad feeling about this? Yes, I do have a bad feeling. Sig is not playing ball with us today. I got a bad feeling about this. I love the Berlitz. Remember Berlitz, the language company where you could learn a, la- uh, learn a language with their audio recordings? You've heard of Berlitz, right? Sure. Well, I'm not trying to trick you. It's just very funny. There's a great commercial, very clever commercial. So you've got this uh, young, new-on-the-job German Coast Guard guy, you know, probably 20. And the the older officer is showing him around. He's going to be manning a microphone and monitoring distress calls out in the ocean and whatnot. So um, all of a sudden, so the, the... the senior officer leaves. He's by himself for the first time with the radio and sound, they sound British and they say, you know, uh, you know, mayday, mayday. Um, this is the ship, whatever we're going, you know, we're, we're sinking, we're sinking. And he says, uh, this is the German coast guard. And his English is not so good. And they said, we're sinking, we're sinking. And he says, what are you sinking about? <laughs> It's very funny. My what? version of it is not very funny. What made I you th- think of that? I don't know. <laughs> right. Free association. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where that came from. It is funny, though. Maybe you can find the audio. It's the Berlitz German Coast Guard commercial. Very funny. Probably won an award or two. Uh, let's go to Dennis. I'm waiting for Sig to call back. Let's go to Dennis in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Hi, Dennis. Hi, Patrick. How are you? Oh, I'm well, thank you. Thank you for asking, Dennis. Well, Patrick, the reason that I called was I was listening to your show and I heard Nathan's comment uh, about, uh, you know, leaving the radio on. And yeah. I wanted to just relate what, what kind of happened to me. I, I'm an evangelical uh, press and I'm not Catholic, but mm-hmm. I am searching. Okay. And one day I was driving along just kind of surfing on the radio and I chanced upon the local uh, Catholic radio station. And and it was very intriguing to me, much like that Hindu woman. Yeah. And I thought, oh my goodness, I gotta listen to this. And and I'm now sixty seven. I think this started when I was like eight sixty two. Okay. So I started listening to Catholic radio and I've gotten pretty well catechized, I think. Uh, even to the point that I went to RCIA at a local parish. Oh wow. And and I and like Protestants, I've got all the issues that many Protestants have, Mary and authority. Actually, authority settled for me, but, okay. you know, some of the issues that Protestants fight their way through, uh, including a wife who thinks I'm exploring a cult. Mm. Uh, so there's some issues there, but 
man, Catholic radio has really reached into my life and has opened my eyes. And I'm a, like I said, I'm I'm a Protestant, been been a Christian since I was 16. But the compelling stories that I hear, the the truth that I hear in Catholicism on Catholic radio has just never let go of me. So I, I just want to pass that along that, man, Catholic radio is powerful. Oh, man, I love hearing this. I really do. And I mean, not just because I'm biased toward the Catholic faith, but your reaction to what you're hearing on Relevant Radio is one that I've heard from many other people as well, Dennis. You're in good company, in other words. Um, out of curiosity, I mean, did you did you just stumble upon us? Were you in the car searching for something to listen to and you ran across us that way? Or how did that happen? Well, it was kind of funny. I was driving home from work and I and I don't often do this, but I just was pushing seek on my radio. Mm-hmm. And I heard the I heard a voice, and I think, dang, I, I know that voice. How do I know this? And it turns out that it's a guy that I do some work with in my regular job, and I know him pretty well, and I thought, what is Nick doing <laughs> on the radio? And Nick was making commercials for our local Catholic radio station. So by me <laughs> hearing world. Nick's voice, I, I paid attention, and, and as and I think it was Catholic Answers was the show that was on uh, after Nick was doing this sponsorship thing that he was doing. And, and I don't even remember what the topic was, but it was so compelling to me. I didn't change my radio station for weeks. I just left it on. All of my drive time, morning and night, was Catholic radio. Wow. That is amazing. Yeah. So even though you're not there yet. I mean, would it be fair for me to assume that you're on the journey in some sense? Yeah. I'll, I'll give you the bottom line of it all. Uh, I, I yield to the authority of the Catholic Church. I, I absolutely, that's settled in my mind. I, I have a little few bumps in the road with, with uh, Marian uh, uh, Devotion? Marian and I talked to the priest at the at the parish that I went through RCIA, and I said, "This is going to cause a lot of problem in my marriage if I become Catholic." And I shared with him exactly what my wife thinks, and she thinks Catholicism's a cult. And I said, "It's really going to drive a wedge between us." And I, I read several books. Uh, of people that were in marriages like that. I, I read Rome Sweet Home, and, and I can't think of, there's a Catholic a PhD that wrote one about that saved, uh, Catholicism saved my marriage. Oh, okay. um, and he's on your on your radio all the time. I just can't think of his name. And, and the priest said to me, you know, if this is going to cause a problem for you, you need to pray about this and, and wait on God. And so that's kind of where I'm at. Were it not for my wife's uh, opposition, I would be Catholic now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a tricky situation, no doubt. You know, I'm going to share a story with you, Dennis, that I think, you, <clears throat> I think you'll resonate with because it's a very similar situation. And uh, also, when we hang up, if you, before you hang up, if you want to stay on the line, I'd be happy to send you a free book, something for you and your wife to take a look at, no obligation, no strings attached, no salesman will call. 
So if that appeals to you, please, you know, don't hang up when we're done. Just stay on the line and young Thomas will get whatever address you want me to mail that to. Would that be okay? Sure. Okay. So thank you for the call. First of all, Dennis, call me anytime. I'd love to chat further. And if your wife is so inclined and she's willing to listen, maybe we can help in that regard as well. So don't hang up and young Thomas will pick up with you in a moment and get that info. So here's the story. This happened to me going back now, probably 25 years or so, maybe even a little bit more than that. And I had a, I had a regular conversation maybe two or three times by phone with a professional musician who was Baptist, born and raised. And he at the time was probably in his mid-30s. And he, um, he got interested in the Catholic Church in a way similar to how you are. It wasn't through radio per se, but he was becoming more and more interested in it. And his wife was very alarmed by this and told him in very stern terms, if you even think about becoming Catholic, I'll divorce you and I'll take the kids with me. I believe their children were grammar school age. So he was walking on eggshells, and he, he had to hide the fact from his wife that he and I were talking about the Catholic faith. And um, I guess this is actually closer to maybe 30 years ago, because I was still working at Catholic Answers at that time. So long story short, I said, well, I'll be happy to send you some materials, and if you want them, I'll just box them up and send them off to you. And he said, I'd love that. That would be very helpful. But my wife can't know because if she knows that I'm receiving this contraband from the Catholic Church, I will be in a really bad situation because I do believe she will leave me if I take that step. So I said, no problem. I'm going to make it an unidentifiable box. And I did. So it was just a plain cardboard box, his address on it, and minimal address from me. I didn't say Catholic answers or anything like that. It was just like P.O. Box, whatever. So as fate would have it, as God's providence would have it, he told me this later. He said that he had gone out to run some errands, and it was while he was away for maybe half an hour or so that this box arrived at the house late in the afternoon, and his wife answered the door and received the box, and Naturally, she was curious, something addressed to her husband, but there's no real way to tell where it came from or what's in it. So she's shaking the box, rattling it to see what's in it. And her curiosity gets the better of her, and she opens the box. And, of course, she's immediately in a rage because it's filled with Catholic paraphernalia. So he comes home maybe half an hour later, and she's not in the living room. She's not in the kitchen. She's locked in their bedroom. And when he comes up to knock on the door, hey, honey, what's going on? She's screaming at him through the door in a fury. I told you if you become Catholic or you think about becoming Catholic, I'm going to divorce you and take the kids. And she meant it too. And she would not come out of the bedroom. So night falls, he winds up sleeping on the couch out in the living room. He tells me that early in the morning, it's still dark out, And she wakes him up. She's kneeling next to him. He's on the couch. She's kneeling next to him. She shakes him awake and apologizes tearfully for all of the rage and everything that she had said. And she says, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to divorce you. I'm not going to take the kids. I'm sorry for what I said. And so he's groggily coming to and and, and like, what, what happened? 
And she said, well, I locked myself in the bedroom because I was so angry. And I realized that I had locked myself in the bedroom with this box with all the stuff in it. And there was a book, Surprised by Truth. I edited that book, and that's why I put it in there. And she says, I was bored, and I had nothing to do, and I wasn't going to come out because I wasn't going to talk to you. So I had nothing else to do, so I started reading this book. And it's a book of conversion testimonies of evangelical Protestants who became Catholic. And that's all she wrote. She said that when she read it, she just sort of read the book all the way through. She had nothing else to do, so she read this book, all the testimonies. And it didn't, like, make her Catholic on the spot or anything, but she said, I now understand. I now get it. I see why you're fascinated with the Catholic Church. And he was so happy. It was a close call, but he was really happy. And you know what happened? He became Catholic. She became Catholic. The children came, became Catholic. Everybody was baptized and received their sacraments, all because... That books arrived, the box of books arrived at the wrong time. Thank God for that.